You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. James, Jesus' brother. Jesus' brother. Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters. It's scripture. It is Jesus' brother who comes up. He's called James the Just. He was perfect. There's a great tradition going on about James the Just. They said that when he was martyred, his knees, he had what they called camel knees. They were so calloused and so worn out from praying. He'd spent so much time on his knees praying. If only we were so dedicated to prayer, how much different would your life look like if you spent so much time on your knees that they grew swollen and calloused? As Pastor Dave will challenge us in today's message, prayer is an immense privilege. Don't neglect it as you follow Jesus in this broken world. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 15 as he continues his message, Past, Present, Future. God's grace was poured out upon him. He said, the same way, and we can receive mercy the same way. As we review God's past in our lives, we see his grace. Can you look back on your life and see the grace of God, the hand of his grace on your life? If you've become born again, you've experienced God's grace. You know what God's grace is. You know that you didn't deserve it. You know that you've fallen short. You know that you've missed the mark completely. But you know what Scripture says, that God loves you anyhow. And in the midst of your sin, God sent his son to die for you. Now that's reviewing the past, to see him from whence you've come. Sometimes we even put people under the law ourselves. My sin looks really bad on you. Oof. I look so bad on me, but you? Oh, man. My sin looks horrible on you. But when we realize the mercy and grace that God has given us, we take a step back and we look at things through his eyes, and his grace covers that, and his love covers that, and his mercy covers that. There was silence in the council, just as there's silence here today. There was silence in the council. Paul and Barnabas never missed an opportunity to speak, and they took this silence as an opportunity. And they jumped up, and they want to chime in their words, their words toward this. Look at verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened as Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Barnabas and Paul now become the second and third witnesses for the defense. They begin to tell the council about their missionary journey that they had just completed among the Gentiles. The council listened intently, and they greatly, why did they listen so well? Because they greatly respected Paul and Barnabas. We're going to read next week in the final decree in Acts 15, 25 through 26, it says, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men To you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. They were respected. 
They were well-liked. They knew what they had gone through. So when they stood up, people listened to what they had to say. Notice what Paul and Barnabas zero in on. What do they pinpoint? They pinpoint the miracles and the wonders that God had done all throughout their missionary journey. Paul would later write to the church of Galatia these words in Galatians 3, verses 5 through 9. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before saying, in all the nations shall be blessed. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The signs and wonders were shown, but it wasn't the working of miracles. It was God's grace. It was the faith through God's grace that led them to believe. Paul and Barnabas declared to the council that they had preached God's grace. They didn't preach the law to the Gentiles. God gave witness to the grace that they were preaching by these signs and wonders. You know, if you reread the missionary journey that we studied through Acts 13 and 14, you'll notice that in Acts 13, 43, Acts 14, 3, and Acts 14, 26, it says that God opened the doors to the Gentiles for what? The door of faith, not the door of the law, the door of faith. The church in Antioch was founded by those who believed and turned unto the Lord, Acts eleven twenty three, and those who experienced the grace of God, it says in Acts eleven twenty three. Paul and Barnabas spoke of the mighty works of God among the Gentiles. They spoke of the present, how God's love continued to pour out among the Gentiles through his mercy and grace. Look at your present life. Look at the lives right now that you're living in Christ. Are you experiencing God's love? Are you experiencing the love of God regardless of the trials and situations that might be happening in your life? Is God still demonstrating his love to you? Is God still pouring out love out upon you? Are you experiencing that love? Is it changing your heart? Is it making you ever more in love with a God who loved you so much that wouldn't spare his own son? Is it making you ever more in love with a God whom your fear is that you might disappoint? Your fear is this awesome reverence like, wow, Is that what the love of Christ is doing in your heart today? Is that what's happening in your present life? Because as you walk this Christian life, that love continues to pour out. And as you continue to receive it, you're built up. You're strengthened. And trouble will come. Afflictions will come. Trials will come. You need the love of Christ to stand strong in these trials. You need to know who you are. You need to know where you're going. You need to know what's happening in your life. And that's what the present condition of the Christian is. He's experiencing God's love. He experienced mercy and grace when he accepted Christ. But now in the present time, it's the love of Christ that continues to flow forth. And I accept it. And I say, yes, thank you, Lord. Barnabas and Paul knew that. And they spoke about the present situation, how Gentiles were being saved by God's grace. Again, silence falls among the council. This information must have really been something for these guys. They might not have been able to bear it. They might have really been in turmoil, but their hearts were silent right now. This information had gone against every single thing they've known since birth. Every single thing they've known since birth, this information has gone against. And some of you can relate to that. Some of you have been stuck in religious organizations since birth, 
And you can't understand the grace of God. You can't understand the love of God. It's been pounded into you, and you've been stuck in these relationships, or excuse me, this religion that you can't get out of. So this might be something that you've never heard of before. You've never experienced before. Experience the love of God? I only thought that was for someone higher up on the echelon than me. No, it's available to all. It's available to everyone. Silence falls. The men in the, in the thing, especially the Pharisees, are going, how can this be? Imagine the look in the Pharisees' eyes. How can this be? What's going on? How can this happen? Then the Lord, through his divine providence, knew exactly who the next speaker would be. The Lord had it all arranged, who was going to speak. He knew who the next speaker was. He had arranged it. And now he was going to bring someone up who they respected more than anybody. Someone who was in a leadership position, and it was going to tie everything together. He was going to tie Peter's comments, Barnabas and Paul's comments, and he was going to add his own. He was going to tie everybody and know that an agreement would be reached. We read in Acts 15, 13 who that was. After they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Contrary to popular opinion, James was the leader of the first church, not Peter. James was the one who basically was the leader of the church. And who was this James? We read long ago that James the apostle had been martyred. He had been the first one killed. Remember? We read that. Who was this James? Jesus' brother. Jesus' brother. Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters. It's Scripture. It is Jesus' brother who comes up. He's called James the Just. He was perfect. There's a great tradition going on around James the Just. They said that when he was martyred, his knees, he had what they called camel knees. They were so calloused and so worn out from praying. He'd spent so much time on his knees praying. And this is the tradition that they have, that they found out. Why would the Lord choose James? James had strong leanings towards the law. If you don't believe me, read the epistle of James. He mentions the law no less than 10 times in the epistle of James. James had strong leanings, leanings towards the law. But the Lord knew he would be the one that was most acceptable to the legalist. The Lord knew who to get to speak. So James stands up in their midst, and he begins to speak to them, and he relates everything that had happened to the future. Peter had talked about the past. Barnabas and Paul had talked about the present. Now James is going to talk about the future, God's providence. He says this in Acts 14, excuse me, Acts 15, 14 through 18. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out for them people of his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things known to God from eternity are all his works. That's God's provident hand. This must have been a huge shock to the Pharisees when they heard this. Surely when James stood up, knowing that he was leaning towards the legalists, they probably thought, oh man, we got a guy on our side now. We have a buffer. But they were like, wow, look at this. Look at this. This guy's reputation is pure. This guy had a great reputation. Now he's saying this. Where was God going? He knew. God knew what James was saying. 
He had called the Gentiles by their name. He had called the Gentiles to come into him. He wanted them to be his people. He would see that nothing would stand in the way of salvation for them. As soon as James spoke, the Pharisees knew what was happening on the matter. They were probably surprised when he showed the council that in God's word himself, provisions were made for the salvation of the Gentiles. Yes, in the Old Testament, God had made a provision for the Gentiles. All this was happening within the Gentiles, James says, was according to the scriptures. And James even showed them where by quoting Amos 9, verses 11 through 12. Our Kent Hughes says that James used the passage largely from Amos 9, 11 to 12 that told of two groups. At the core would be the nation Israel, the tabernacle of David, and gathered around them would be the Gentiles, the rest of mankind, who would share in the messianic blessings without becoming Jewish proselytes. Everything was happening according to the providential hand of God. J. Dwight Pentecost said this, this would be in keeping with the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, that through the Israel, all the nations would be blessed. James' conclusion is that God will include the Gentiles in the coming kingdom. There's no reason to exclude them now. God is going to include them. Now, let's make some points here. James is by no means suggesting that the Davidic kingdom was in existence at that time. He was suggesting that it was always God's plan to include the Gentiles. And to include them now would be keeping in God's plan. Interesting today that God's church is a called out people. He continues by his gracious love to call people to himself. Those that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ by grace, the church. Ecclesia is the Greek name. It means called out assembly. And if they're called out, then their salvation is of grace, not by keeping the law, if they're called out. Another interesting point here is what James is saying. He's saying that what Peter and Paul testified to this is not a fulfillment. It's an agreement. It is not a fulfillment. When you read Amos 9 and 8, 9, 8 to 15, it reveals that the prophet is describing events in the end times. Prophets are is describing End times events when God will regather the people of Israel into their land and bless them. You know, if we spiritualize these promises, we rob them of their meaning and we make James' argument meaningless. Amos speaks of a falling house, the tabernacle or tent of David would be raised up and God will fulfill his covenant with David that a king would sit on the throne forever. You can read that covenant in 2 Samuel 7, verses 25 to 29. The future king is who? It's Jesus Christ. The future king to come is Jesus Christ. And you can see that in Luke 1, 33, 2 Samuel 7, 13, and 16, and Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. We must be extremely careful with these scriptures because there are those today that try to identify the church as Israel and make all the prophecies concerning Israel apply to the church. This is false. Needless to say, they have messed up eschatology so bad that they even had the church going through the Great Tribulation. This is false scriptures. They declare that God's work with Israel is finished. That Israel had their opportunity, and from now on, the church is Israel. But it totally messes up all the prophetic picture. And actually, the bulk of prophecies we can see is where God declares that he once again return and pour his spirit into the nation of Israel and then do a work with them. In the end times, Israel and the church are not synonymous. They are not the same and cannot be. James in the early church recognized that this work of God, that God was doing among the Gentiles, was to draw people to his name. 
We're still living in that age. We are still living in the age of grace. It has not concluded yet. God is still drawing people into his name, the Gentiles. He's even drawing Jews into his names. Those Jews that believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, are still coming in, are a part of his church. But because of God's grace, there's no difference. The Jew is saved just as the Gentile right now. There's no racial differences. Salvation is open to every man, Jew and Gentile alike. But the day is coming. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, Paul writes about this, then God will again restore his work on the nation of Israel. But here he's saying that visiting the Gentiles to take out a people for his name. God knows exactly who these people are. God has a number. And Paul tells us that when the fullness of Gentiles come in, God will deal with that nation. For unto him are all his works known from the beginning. God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly who's going to be saved. God knows who and who is not going to be saved. I reject the document of moral government that tells, that, of God that tells us that God is limited in knowledge. God is omniscient. God knows everything. God knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows everything in between. God was not caught by surprise when Adam sinned. God knew about it. If you think he was, then how can it say that Christ was crucified from the foundations of the world? I reject the concept of limited knowledge of God, that he doesn't know what you're going to do until you do it. That for some reason he's disappointed in you when you make a wrong choice. It says, unto him is from the beginning are all his works known. There's no surprise to God. You think when you get to heaven, he's going to go, oh, you made it. No. It's not going to happen. He knows who's going to get there and who is not. You may be surprised, but he's certainly not going to be surprised. For known unto him are all his works from the beginning of the world. So God had a plan to reach out to the Gentiles to draw people for his name. God knew that Israel his favorite, the apple of his eye, would be set aside for a while so that the fullness of Gentiles can come in. And when that number is reached, God will turn again and work with the nation Israel, work towards the nation Israel, work with the nation Israel. God will return to his unfaithful wife just like Hosea returned to his unfaithful wife. And it's the same analogy. Hosea, in this, in this instance, is a picture of God and the unfaithful wife is a picture of Israel. And God will return to and deal with his unfaithful wife and bring her in. And of that we have to believe. In defense of grace, the past, present, and future was presented to the council. But what about your past, present, and future? Maybe you think of your past and you say, I've gone too far, I cannot return. I've, I've strayed way too far. I can't fully come back. Or maybe you think because of your present state. Maybe because of the present state you might be in or someone you know might be in, you think, it's over for them. They can't come. They can't get in. And because of your past, because of your present, you're saying, what about the future? What's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen to me? Let's look at St. Augustine's quote again. Trust in the past to God's mercy. Trust in the present to God's love. Trust in the future to God's providence. We're going to end with this. Listen to the words of Spurgeon here. Listen to the words of Spurgeon as he describes this possible conversation of the prodigal son and the father. 
Listen to this wonderful conversation that they might have had. Spurgeon used these in one of his uh, sermons. Oh, the past, the past, my father, he might moan, as he thought of his wasted years. But he had no sooner said that than he received another kiss from the father, as if the father said, never mind the past, I've forgotten all about that. This is the Lord's way he saves his loved ones. Their past lies hidden under the blood of atonement. The Lord says to his servant Jeremiah, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. But then, perhaps the young man looked down on his foul garments and said, the present, my father, the present, what a dreadful state I'm in. And another kiss would come and answer, never mind the present, my boy. I am content to have you as you are. I love you. This too is God's words to those who are accepted in the beloved. In spite of all our vileness, in spite of the things we've done, we are pure and spotless in Christ. And God says to each one of us, since thou hast wet precious in my sight, you've been honorable and I have loved you. Therefore, through myself, thou art unworthy, but through my dear son, you're welcomed into my home. Oh, but, the boy might say, the future my father, the future. What would you think if I should ever go astray again? Then would come another holy kiss, and the father would say, I will see to the future, my boy. I will make home so bright for you that you will never want to go away again. But God does more than that for us. When we return to him, he not only surrounds us with his tokens of his love, but he says concerning us, you shall be my people and I will be your God, and I will give you one heart and one way, and you may fear me forever for the good of you and your children after that, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, and I will not return away from you. I will do good to you. I will put fear in your heart, and you won't depart from me. Furthermore, he says to the returning one, a new heart I'll give to you, a new spirit I'll put into you, and I will take away this throny heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Don't worry about the past. Accept God's love for the future. And certainly don't worry about the future because God's got it all under control. He is still on the throne today, praise God. He has not abdicated his throne. He has not given up his crown. He sits on that throne forever and forever. Accept God's mercy for the past. Receive his love for the day present. And look to the providential hand of God for the future. Trust in me when I say that, that he has everything under control. For didn't he use our past to bring us to Christ? Didn't he use those miserable times in our life to bring us to him? And isn't he using the present day life to glorify himself in us and to work mighty miracles in us? And he continues to give us hope for a future, hope of an eternity spent with him. You are You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, 
even when it cost him his life? What courage in the midst of opposition? Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.